Hey, y'all, I'm so grateful uh, to be here. It's so cool to see so many faces. And um, like Micah said, my name is Blue. Uh, I lead the International Student Ministry here at Mountain View. Um, Um, tonight we're going to be finishing our time in First Thessalonians. So as I open up uh, in prayer, you all can just, if you have a Bible or in your phone, you want to open up to that, go ahead. Uh, we're going to open up to First Thessalonians 5, and we'll be starting in verse 12. Wow. Lord, I just want to thank you for tonight. Thank you for this time. Um, we get to be in your word. I pray that you just uh, open up our hearts, uh, Lord, to, to hear from you, to understand you. And just understand more of what we need to, to enter into a relationship with you and follow you as you call us to. Um, so I pray that you just speak to us tonight. Uh, I just pray that in your name. Amen. All right, y'all. I want you to think through, just in your head, what is the first thing that comes to mind when you see this picture? Forty-five. Suggestion, yeah. Yeah. I was thinking 40 or maybe 42, 45, that's great. Um, one time, uh, my wife said, I could share this by the way, with the caveat that she no longer drives this way. Um, we were talking about this very thing, like how, how much we were engaged at the time just driving, like how closely do we follow this 35 mile an hour speed limit sign? Um, and I admitted like I usually go about five over. Uh, Meredith looks at me and says, well, I usually round up. And then I know that cops won't pull you over unless you're going at least 10 over, so I add 10. I was like, Meredith, that's 15 miles over the speed limit in the middle of town. So my point here is I think we can, we can easily slip um, into finding ways to justify not following exactly what we're commanded to do. Um, you know, we might say, like, this isn't that bad, or nobody really pays attention to this one anyway. It's a suggestion, like somebody said. So yeah, it's okay. Um, you know, and we are under rules and like regulations and commands. It's like wherever we are. You know, for instance, like when we, when we drive a car or we attend CSU, uh, or just simply by being born here, like a citizen of the United States. Um, and when we're like confronted with these rules, like when we see them. Uh, Maybe we're like my wife and I in this story, where we, we kind of bend them uh, to kind of fit what we want. Or maybe it's like we try our hardest to live up to the rules. You know, we, uh, we're striving to do them and um, uh, trying to prove ourselves by following them. Uh, and I think we can get caught approaching, approaching Christianity this way, or like pursuing life as a Christian this way. Maybe you're not a Christian, you just see Christianity simply as like, this is just a set of rules I have to, you know, live up to. Um, or maybe as a Christian, like you accept God's gift of salvation. I needed him. Uh, but now we, we live um, as if we're just trying to follow these rules to, to appease him or to earn his, his love or favor. And the good news, good news is that neither of these are Right. Um, there's a better way to see these rules and commands, not as rules to bend as, as, um, as much as possible or to like strive like this attempt to prove yourself to God. Rather, my hope is that as we read through this text, which is full of commands, that you will see that these commands are like given to like stir our hearts up to be like Christ out of love for him. And any step, you know, towards following them 
has to be done in his strength and in the conviction that uh, what he did on the cross for you and that he rose from the dead is true and needed. So read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12, starting in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything and hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So like I said, we have a lot of commands, a lot of rules. You know, there are over 20 commands in these 17 verses we just read. You know, and these commands and requests actually continue from the beginning of chapter 4 where Paul says we, his God's will or desire is that we would walk in a way that pleases him. Or another way we could think of it is like to be like Christ. Um, uh, and my main point for tonight is God's will is for you to be like him and he will, and he will see it done in Christ. So we will break the, we're going to break this passage into three sections for tonight. You know, for the sake of time, we won't be able to discuss every command in these sections. That would take a couple hours probably. Uh, but the commands we walk through in these sections will guide us in understanding um, how this call to be like Christ affects our interactions with others, affects our interactions with God, and is empowered and promised by God. Uh, first, we will discuss how this call to be like Christ affects our interactions uh, with others. You know, in Christ, we are called to be Christ uh, to, with others. And we will see in verses 12 through 14 that Paul encourages the Thessalonians in, in, to do this in like two specific ways. Uh, the first one is to esteem and love and respect those who lead among them. And then to see that we are all called to the work of ministering to others. Read with me again in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So in verses uh, 12 and 13, we see Paul's command to respect or like esteem and love those are, that are laboring over us in the Lord. Uh, when Paul would, would leave a place where he labored and where he shared the gospel like he did with the Thessalonians, he would, he would appoint leaders to like watch over the church and like continue that work uh, when he was gone. Uh, we call these men like pastors or elders or under shepherds, like under the true shepherd, Jesus, over the church. Uh, that would be like Matt Scott or Kevin Wolf. Um, these are the ones he's calling the church to respect. 
You know, in the context of college ministry, I don't believe it's a stretch to, to say this is how we should treat the leaders or laborers that work among you, like, like Micah or Adam or Savannah or Darius and Andrew. You know, these are, they're not pastors, but they're doing this, uh, in part, this work that Paul is describing here. So, like, and to esteem or respect would be to honor them or to hold them in high regard or to recognize and just them and just to be thankful for them. Paul says this should be done because of their labor on your behalf. Out of love and care for you, they desire for you to grow in love for one another and for the Lord. So, so how can we esteem and how can we respect them? You know, Paul doesn't tell us directly in here, uh, but I just want to propose two ways uh, that we can do this. And it's with our words uh, and with our submission. You know, this command to, to respect and esteem challenges our hearts, uh, which can fall into speaking poorly uh, of those that are over us. Uh, and one way we can respect these leaders and glorify God is by not speaking behind their backs, whether that's like with each other uh, or even to ourselves as we like bitterness or just anger um, grow in our hearts. Um, now, if we have experienced hurt you know, that leads to this bitterness, we can, we can choose to ask the Lord to help us to forgive. And we can approach and share this with the leader directly in gentleness. I know that some of you, you know, may have been deeply hurt or sinned against by somebody who's been in one of these, like, authority positions, and I'm so sorry if that has happened to you. I would encourage you, if, like, if you're still holding on to that pain, holding on to the anger or, the, or bitterness, I would, just, I would encourage you uh, to forgive. You know, if you need to walk through it with somebody so you can like, fully understand the hurt, fully understand the pain, and like, fully walk through forgiveness, I would just encourage you to do this with an older just brother or sister in Christ. So not only can we honor those who work among us with our words, but with our submission. Now, we are called to follow their leadership as they seek to help us follow the Lord's will uh, and to do what's right as a, as a church in like, our context, like Fort Collins or CSU for you guys. You know, submitting to leaders involves like, following what they ask of us for the sake of glorifying God and like, unity in the body and love for one another. Submitting also involves like, trusting they are making decisions that will like, best honor God. Um, and lead us to just represent Christ to those around us. And I believe like submitting to these requests can be so challenging because we all have various ideas or opinions about like what is right. You know, and our leaders have to make tough decisions for the church body in regards to like current events. And I know we're all probably tired of this or don't want to hear about this anymore, but I think it hits close to home, but it's such as like COVID response. There are no commands in the Bible about COVID response. And yet these leaders have to pray and consult the word and trust in the spirit for wisdom and like how to respond. Uh, and I believe as we come under this uh, leadership and as we submit, as we seek unity, um, this is going to lead us to the, the peace among ourselves that will glorify God, this God of, of peace that we're reading about. The second way our call to be like Christ um, affects our interactions with others is that all of us, every single one of us, is called to be ministering to one another. Read with me in verse 14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, 
Help the weak. Be patient with them all. Like I said, this command is for all of us. You know, we're to be in each other's lives so much so um, and know each other so well that we can see idleness or, or when someone is just weary and just bogged down by discouragement or by grief um, or when hardship or suffering is testing someone's faith. You know, whether due to their own sin struggles or just like the Thessalonians, they were experiencing persecution and sin from the outside against them. But I think one of the hardest parts about this command um, is knowing which one is right. On the outside, someone who maybe is like idle or faint-hearted may look very similar. You know, they both might be struggling with motivation or getting things done. Um, But what they need in response is totally different. Um, Yeah, which that can make it just hard. Like, how do you know to encourage or admonish? You know, and also maybe we tend to like lean too hard on a justice side or a grace side of things, uh, either like coming off as like uncaring and, and arrogant, or as like a pushover, either like pushing them away, uh, or not calling them to do what what is pleasing to God. So how can we know what to say uh, and how to say it? First, I would pray. The Holy Spirit can and will guide you in what to say if we're open to listen. Secondly, to speak into someone's life, you first have to listen. You know, we have to be slow to speak, quick to hear. Uh, we have to know the situation and understand the heart before we can gently admonish um, or encourage or help. Oh, that didn't happen yet. Probably just ruined it. Oh, well. So imagine a father is speaking to his daughter. (laughs) She has been living with them for 15 months, doesn't have a job, hasn't been paying rent, isn't eating, is eating their food, and not helping with any chores around the house. Finally, he comes and talks to his daughter, and he says, you know, your mother and I have been talking, and if if, if you don't want to get a job, you don't want to help, you're going to have to move out. Like, we can't, you can't stay here. Okay, so now imagine that father is me uh, and that the daughter is my 15-month-old girl. Yeah, All right. All of what I just said about her is true. But would it be, would it be right of me to demand that of her or to, to ask that of her? Like, no. You know, you, know, you know that because you know her situation. We do all this because she's a baby, she, she's weak, and she's in need of help. Now, instead, if uh, the dad was older and, say, the, the girl had just, like, returned from college and was living the same way, then maybe the, the reprimand or the warning would be more fitting. Um, the situation with my daughter was easy to figure out. Of course it wouldn't be right to tell my 15-month-old girl she needs to get a job. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but other situations will be more complex. You know, choosing to listen first to what people are going through um, so you can better understand the situation and like speak into it will take patience, but it's going to help you to not uh, admonish when you should encourage or maybe encourage when you should admonish. Uh, and, as we, so, and, and as we enter in and hear what they're going through, our, I believe our, our response should be saturated with the gospel, the truth of what Christ has accomplished through his life and his death and his resurrection. 
uh, can speak into every one of these situations for encouragement and warning and help. So we've seen how this call to be like God or it's like to be like Christ has affected how we should sit esteem and love uh, those that labor with us and just how we should be ministering to one another. So my question for you uh, before we move on to our next point is how will this affect your week? How can God use you to be Christ with others, to love and minister to them this week? My second point is that our call from God to be like Christ not only affects our interactions with others, but affects our interactions with God. Read with me starting in verse 16. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This has to be like the hardest one for me to swallow, or the hardest one to believe that I could like live up to or to follow. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This one above any others just shows me how incapable I am of, of following this or living up to it. You know, how can, how can we rejoice when there's so much suffering around us or how and we're experiencing so much suffering ourselves? You know, maybe it's a bad breakup or the, or the loss of a family member or our parents going through just like a heartbreaking divorce. Paul, the, the author of this letter, has even himself said in another letter, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And he says this when he's sharing Jesus with his fellow countrymen, and they, and they won't hear and they won't listen, and he's sorrowful. And in the same letter, he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So we see his call to rejoice or to be thankful or to pray is not based on our circumstances, and it, has, and it does not mean that we cannot be sorrowful or we cannot mourn. One week, uh, this past February, my wife and I found ourselves driving to the emergency room three times. The first time was for my daughter, Rosemary. She had COVID and was having trouble breathing, and that was honestly like the most terrifying drive of my life. Um, the other two were for my wife, Meredith, sitting in the back there. Um, she was 10 weeks pregnant at the time, um, and there was complications with the pregnancy, and uh, they, the doctor actually told us we need to go to the emergency room. And so this, this was a Thursday night. We drove over there, and we went. Uh, we actually got to see, we did an ultrasound. We got to see the picture of our baby. We even got a little picture at home. It says, hi, mom and dad on it. Um, but then the second time, we went in on Saturday. The complications were getting worse. Um, and I was sitting in the room where they put us, and uh, Meredith uh, has just walked back in from the bathroom, and she said, I think we just lost our baby. And we found out later that that was true. And the question, like, going through my mind, as I was, I was actually reading through this, this book and this passage at the time, uh, was like, God, am I supposed to rejoice on Thursday when our baby was fine and we saw their heartbeat, and on Saturday when they were gone? And it was at that moment I was sitting there holding my wife as she was, she was weeping and the nurse was doing something on the, the computer, and my wife began to sing. Uh, and the first 
words of the song she sang were praise God from whom all blessings flow. And I was just blown away, blown away by her response. Um, and there was, just, there was just no explanation for it, for that situation or for what Paul is asking of us, except that our rejoicing has, and our thankfulness has nothing to do with our circumstance. You know, in Christ, or nothing to do with our circumstance, but it has to do with being in a, a relationship with Jesus. It involves having him. That is our joy, is having Christ. You know, in Christ, we rejoice when things are going well because we know that every good gift is from the Father above. Those gifts are meant to point us to the goodness of God and to worship him as the greatest gift. In Christ, we rejoice in our sufferings or hardships like Paul, like Paul who wrote uh, in another letter to a church in Rome. He said, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You know, as we experience, as we experience God's love being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, and watch Him grow our hearts in faith, He helps us to truly see that we would rather suffer and know Him than to live a life of comfort and never experience him. For he shows us like a glimpse of himself, like his steadfast love, his grace, his faithfulness that we would never experience if he didn't allow hardship to come our way. When things are going well, we can easily slip into just forgetting our need for God and like seeking fulfillment and other things, like thinking they will bring us joy. But God lovingly reminds us through suffering that what we really need is him. It is loving for him to do this because in his wisdom, he knows that we will have the most joy. I would say like this indestructible joy in having him as like our greatest treasure. So Paul's, and Paul's call to just pray without ceasing, it's a call to just lift up our prayer like as we go throughout our day. Um, obviously, I don't think it's directly saying like without ceasing because then you wouldn't be able to talk to people, right? But it's as situations come in, to your life. We lift them up to God knowing that um, this good God and loving God brings every situation in, uh, into our lives for our good and to grow us for him, to uh, grow our love for him. So how, how can this call to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to be thankful in all circumstances, how is that going to affect how you interact with God this week? You know, these commands are so challenging for us because they call us not to be daunted by our like, current circumstances. And when we're surrounded by the hardship, it's hard to, to, to focus on the promises of God or believe that he's, that he's for you. But the difficult, this difficulty drives us into what Paul says next. My last point uh, is that our call to be like Christ not only affects our interactions with others and our interactions with God, but it is promised and performed, uh, promised, I would say, promised and empowered by God in Christ. Read with me in verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You know, I hope, I hope we don't miss just how incredible these verses are, how incredible this promise is to those who have faith in Christ. 
He's saying the creator of the universe, the God of peace himself, uh, the one who created the earth and all the creatures within, the one who created, uh, created all the stars and holds them in place, cares about you so deeply and so intimately that he's involved in your daily life, calling you in love to be like him, calling you to be sanctified. And to be sanctified is to be made perfect before God or holy or pure or blameless. Or like, like we've said tonight, to be like Christ. God desires us to be perfect like him, our whole body and soul, spiritual and physical, our entire being. Uh, and for this to reach completion means that we are to be blameless before God. And that's what God promises upon the return of his son, that, that struggle with anxiety uh, or pornography or depression or anger gone. To be presented blameless is to be presented free or cleansed of sin. Not only does Paul pray that God will do this, but he knows this faithful God will perform it or will empower us to do it. God is not only like intimately but powerful, not only intimately involved in your life, but powerfully. Paul says this great power that called all we know into existence and raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you and he's going to bring that work to completion in Christ. But how can we be assured that God will perform what he promises? How can we be sure that he's faithful? I want to point you all to the same assurance that Paul pointed the Thessalonians to earlier in this letter. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14, Paul says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, speaking to the Thessalonians, uh, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Paul is, is reassuring them that those who have died are going to rise. They're going to rise when Christ returns, and those who are alive are going to rise with them, and they're going to be with God. They're going to rise and meet him in the air. And we know from our text that at that moment they're going to be blameless, purified of sin. So Paul tells them that this is just this amazing hope, but, but what does he ground their assurance in? We see it at the beginning of verse 14. He says, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. Since we believe that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the, the dead. Know that. Be assured that this future hope is secure. But how does Jesus' death and, and resurrection give us hope? What does it have to do with our holiness or our sanctification? How does it empower us to be like Christ or to follow the commands we see in our text? As we look at what the Bible has to say, we find this verse uh, in the book of Hebrews. It's another letter written to encourage Christians in their, in their faith. Hebrews 10, 14 says this, for by a single offering, Jesus has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. This is saying that through faith in Jesus Christ, because he died on the cross and shed his blood for your sins, that you, if you have faith in him, you are already washed clean. You have been made holy and perfect. Like he has sanctified you. This is just incredible, and I hope we see it, and I hope we believe. For it's not by obeying these rules in our own strength that we have been made perfect or clean. It is in Jesus Christ. 
And I believe this helps us see the faithfulness of God because if God was willing to give his only son upon the cross to make us holy and to make us like him, then we can trust, we can be assured that he will not withhold anything that we need to be presented blameless before him when he returns. You know, he has perfected us for all time through this one sacrifice. And I know this seems hard to believe at times when we are currently struggling with sin. You know, maybe, maybe even today, the struggle with lust or anxiety or anger has just left us felt feeling dirty or maybe unworthy, um, just not living up to this calling. Uh, but the Bible teaches that this isn't the case. You know, we're not resting on our performance, but on the finished work of Christ. Yet there is this call to be holy or to be like Christ. That's what these commands are calling us to do, you know, to turn from sin and walk in a way that pleases God. So there is action on our part. Uh, we should and must respond. And God again shows his faithfulness in giving us Jesus to empower us to follow him and to walk as we should. And he ultimately empowers us through the Holy Spirit, which we receive upon faith in Jesus. But I, what I also just want us to see tonight is that we are empowered to follow these commands because Jesus has already done the work to make us holy and perfect. We are empowered by this because any attempt to pursue holiness or to fight sin or to follow these commands in your life without the conviction that you are already holy through faith in Christ is going to take you out of the gospel. If you believe you need to achieve these commands to appease God or to earn favor with him um, or to prove your worth to him, like you're no longer under grace. And this way of pursuing God is just going to lead us back to bending the rules, like with the speed limit sign, or, or basing our standing on God and our performance instead of his grace through Christ. When we, when we humbly see the incredible love of God through the sacrifice of his son and believe in Jesus, we are empowered to joyfully pursue uh, and desire Christ's likeness in a way that lifts up the work of Christ uh, and does not rest on our own accomplishment. Now, we wouldn't be able to do this if Christ hadn't died for us and made us holy. So God is faithful to empower us to genuinely follow him in our day-to-day -day lives and he is faithful, he was faithful to send his son to die for us and rise from the dead, that we would be made holy for all time. We can trust that this God will faithfully empower us to do what he calls us to do through faith in Jesus. That he will bring it to completion. He will present us blameless before him when Christ returns. So tonight we saw... It is God's will for you, to go, uh, for you to go forward this week seeking to esteem and love and respect those who are laboring over you. How can you, how can you esteem and honor your leaders with your words as you go, through, go about this week? And it's God's will for you to, to minister to one another. How can you step into one another's lives more intimately this week and patiently just listen and speak into one another's struggles? And it is God's will for you to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, and to be thankful in all circumstances. And it is God's will that you do that um, in Christ Jesus. I, swear, we don't want you to, I don't want you to forget that 
the second half of that verse 18 after it says to rejoice and be thankful um, and to pray that's, that it's God's will in Christ, trusting in the finished work of Christ, looking forward to the hope of promise of like standing before him blameless. If you don't know Jesus, I hope you've seen today that it's, it's not simply about following rules. Uh, for there's no way to make it to God through following rules in our own strength. You know, we're always going to fall short. The only solution is faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So instead, I hope these commands help compel you uh, to run to Jesus for help and to worship him when you see that he's there to help you when you come. And if you know Jesus, uh, just believe and hear that you are holy through Jesus' death and resurrection. And so pursue this call to be like Christ, knowing that God has made you holy and that he will faithfully bring you before him completely perfect and blameless. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for this incredible promise. Um, thank you that you uh, will present us blameless and perfect before you, and I thank you that you, we can trust in that and have faith in that uh, as we look at what you've already done through your son, through his, his life and his death and his resurrection. You've, you've perfected those who have faith in you for all time. I just pray that we can hope in that and that can drive uh, how we interact with people this week. I just pray all that in your name. Amen.